Welcome to the new tools and ongoing conversation about educational technology and learning brought to you by the Educational Technology Department of Issaquah School District. My name is Joshua Moore and I want to wish you all a a happy new year. And um, we're back after a little bit of a a break. And uh, I I have two other instructional technology specialists with me today. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. I'm Stephanie Olson. And I'm Allie Remberger. Yes. We are. We don't have Chris with us today. He's off in the middle, uh, knee-deep in an adoption. So we decided to, to, to give him the gift of time, as my old principal used to tell us whenever <laughs> she canceled the staff meeting. Anyway, we are going to um, – today is the first episode of a two, two-parter that we're going to be doing in which we're going to take a, a deep dive in looking at student-centered learning. And um, we'll, we'll be talking about that. And this week we're going to kind of sp- – do the 30,000 foot level view, talk about big, big, some big principles and some te- uh, tech tools that can support those. And the next week we're going to, or the next episode, we have um, the pleasure of having uh, one of the principals at our high schools, Gibson Eck, and also the Dean of Students. They're going to come and talk about how they do student-centered learning at their school. And it's a really great story and uh, it'll be a great opportunity to ask lots of questions. Anyway, let's start off with a bell ringer. And, uh, Try to try to be personal here a little bit. What's the most embarrassing thing that has happened with tech for you? And to get you kind of in the mindset, back in 2010 at the Worldwide Web Developers Conference, Steve Jobs showed up to show off the new iPhone. I think it was the iPhone 4. And well, as you're about to hear, things didn't go as smoothly as Steve Jobs would have hoped for. I'd like to just take a quick listen. Here we go. All right. We're going to switch over to some backups here. I have a feeling we might have the same problem. <laughs> there we go. Yes, I know that. I don't want to sell you. You can't see uh, because this is a video uh, on a uh, audio format, but he was trying to demonstrate the, the new Wi-Fi capabilities of the iPhone, and, and uh, he kept getting no satisfaction. The, the web page wouldn't show up. Uh, and so Steve Jobs, of all people, um, had embarrassing tech moments. And let's face it, we've all been there. Tech can make us look cool and on top of things and in control many of the, much of the time, but it can also lead to embarrassment and awkwardness. And I just want people out there listening who maybe aren't as uh, you know, big users of tech as us to realize that, that they're not alone. And then, so let's go around and just share some of <laughs> our awkward or embarrassing moments of tech. And I'll start off, if uh, we go back to the early 2000s, um, this was the, you know, kind of just, just after the dot-com boom and pop-up ads were starting to show up all over the place. Um, and uh, I don't think there was necessarily a rhyme or reason. I don't think big data had developed quite as well as it had. And anyway, I was teaching uh, freshmen in a class called World Studies, and um, I said, "We're going to go to my website." And um, I started typing the address, and I opened up. I think it must have probably been Internet Explorer. It, might, it wasn't Firefox because that was a couple years later. Anyway, an ad popped up for. For, for pills that uh, older men like to take. 
<laughs> and not one, not two, not three, but I think four or five of them popped up because, you know, and I don't know what I did. Um, I, and I still don't know to this day, like, why they were targeting me for that. But anyway, the, the freshman in that class had a good kick, good laugh. Um, and uh, anyway, so that was a pretty, you know, small but embarrassing moment, um, not necessarily tied to my tech manliness or anything like that, but definitely awkward. <laughs> it was my first year at Issaquah High School. I was trying to make a good impression, uh, and uh, maybe that slowed things down. I have a similar one because when you've told this, it reminds me of it. Um, so my kids use my YouTube account mm -hmm. for watching, you know, all their YouTube streamers, right? And I was presenting to my staff at my last school. And as I was presenting and I was showing a YouTube video, all you could see around it was all these little like <laughs> YouTube streaming videos and like Mario and all this stuff. And I was like, well, this is somewhat embarrassing. All this like kids focused yes, stuff. Yeah. Because we had Gmail at my last district. Yeah, and yeah. so it was all through my school account that they were watching it because yeah. he was also using my iPad. <laughs> yeah. So it yep. was all linked to my account. So that's a little embarrassing when you're, and you know how they do the watch next video and it wasn't related to the actual PD. It was related, it was related to, to whatever your yeah. kids have been watching. It's like, watch Mario. <laughs> <laughs> this player tries to do this or that or the other or Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, funny. Yeah. yeah, that's. So that was an embarrassing one. But Create a separate YouTube account from the one you use from home. That's that's some good advice. I like I like that. That could save yes. some embarrassing moments. <laughs> Don't open open the right uh, profile in Netflix when you go in. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. 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 And then last night, of course, with Google Expeditions. Yeah, tell us about this. I, I, yeah. I just saw in the notes that you said Google well, Expeditions. Well, it wasn't so much embarrassing as it was a major like fail and then a very quick save. <laughs> Ooh. So, oh, so this is really kind of almost like a humble brag. Are, are, is that where you're going? <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, though. We can use... It's a, I'm sure uh, learning Christy opportunity. Bennett, who did an awesome job presenting for the Issaquah Grant um, Foundations Grant, but we were doing Google Expeditions, and we had gotten it reserved with the set of ten, and we she's like, I really feel like we should try this before we go in and present. I mean, we both got here around six thirty, and so we were presenting at seven. She gets it all plugged in, and at around six forty-five, and the router won't turn on. It's on, but it won't do anything so we can't connect any of the phones or the teacher um, iPad and so we were just like oh gosh what do we do so then we're sitting here trying to troubleshoot it we're trying to plugging in different areas we're doing all the stuff we're setting it five minutes before our presentation and I'm going oh my gosh what do we do what do we do what do we do <laughs> and so I'm like I think we have another set of Google expeditions upstairs still so I ran upstairs and going through all the boxes because this was a set of 30 to find the one that had the teacher, the router and the yeah, yeah. teacher thing. And so found one, brought it back downstairs. I'm all sweaty and hot at this point, <laughs> running around <laughs> trying to get this to work. And it's time to present. So we just walk in and I'm like, fingers crossed this is going to work. And I get it all plugged in and it did. So I was very thankful that it did work. But the most frustrating part of this is by the time we left our 30-minute presentation and went into the room, the other router was working. <laughs> oh, of course. Of, uh, of course. course. Yeah. That's, uh, I so. love that. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe totally. a little frustration with that one rather than uh, embarrassment, but it sure. could have been embarrassing. Yeah, you get up there and 
and this was for a grant. This yes. was for an ISF grant. ISF grant. I've been on a few of those yeah. presentations. That's nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. She did a great job presenting and like keeping it going with not even knowing if it was going to work or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. So. <laughs> cool and impressive. Well, that's one thing I admired about Steve Jobs there. I mean, he didn't, you know, he had a plan B, and I'm sure people's heads rolled afterward, you know, <laughs> for whatever, why this didn't work, this demo didn't work. But he stayed calm, and he just kept going. And if you watch the rest of the video, he does eventually get it to work. So, um, <laughs> but, and without anybody coming running out or anything like that. So, anyway, yeah. lessons, lessons for us all. How about you, I have to just go, well, here we are. Um, yeah, I feel like I have this happen to me all the time. They're like alley fails, not... Um, tech fails, user error. But I remember one time I was at a school um, to do a training and I, for some reason, could not get anything to project. Um, and I even tried then pulling stuff up just off the cloud and like the laptop I was using was really old and so it just, nothing was loading. So luckily it was a small group and so we just kind of did seminar style and I just showed them off my laptop uh-huh. versus project it, which ended up being more than enough, but it was just kind of funny. Yeah. When, you know, he, the tech person comes in and they're like, oh, well, but I think it makes us accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I have a couple other small ones um, in iMessage, you know, group chats. Mm-hmm. Um, when you search for somebody's name to send out an email, or I mean, a, a, mess- a text message, um, some, you know, it pulls up a list of whatever. And so sometimes I've hit the wrong, you know, sending something maybe a little bit intimate to my wife or something like that and then sent it to my whole family or something like that. Because <laughs> you chose the wrong one. Right, yeah. <laughs> or thinking that I, and there's been a couple, in fact, this happened just last fall. I was, I was, I was telling Jenny I was picking up the kids or something like that. And um, our, our colleague, Emily Lee, had just emailed or texted some message about the contract. I don't remember what it was. Or, um, but anyway, I had read that and then somehow ended up back in there and sent, you know, this, I got the kids and, and I love you and can't wait for you to be home. Thanks for working hard for us or something like that, you know, and sent it to Emily. <laughs> She's all, I hope you don't have my child. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, I've done that. And yeah. I, I also, I'm somebody have to admit who has accidentally done a reply all, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I feel like kind of, you know, 20 years ago, people's cell phones would go off sometimes. And there was like always like this, you know, just people staring daggers and, and I, you know, people would get really, you know, um, upset or angry at people about that. And I was always kind of like, you just wait, that's going to happen to you sometime. And, and mm-hmm. I feel like the same thing about reply all. Mm-hmm. I, I do feel like it's annoying and, you know, and people should be pay- trying their best patience, but it's, it's still pretty easy to accidentally do that. And if you do it, I think I, I think a good ribbing, you know, a little a little chiding Some is of probably it okay. Some on your ringtone. So mine was boom boom pow. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. So you know you're in the middle of a meeting and all of a sudden boom 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 boom. Yeah. Boom. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh my god. Yeah, that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I always just take the stock ringtone. Mine are always songs. So oh, yeah. sometimes I get a, ooh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes I get a look like, wow, American girl, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it when yours goes off. <laughs> What's Dance your ringtone, Allie? Mine's just the regular one. Yeah. yeah. I, the, the problem with choosing the regular one is when somebody else's goes off, you think, is that mine? Is that mine? It just doesn't feel like it's mine, but it could be mine. My mom is a big Oregon Ducks fan, and her ringtone is a duck quacking. 
And so every time I'm with her, I'm like, what? What is that? Quack, quack, oh, quack. it's just your phone <laughs> quacking. <laughs> I did have one that I made myself once that was, oh, captain, my captain. And um, Did you read it? I, I, it was me recording it, yeah. and, and it was just I was trying to be – I thought I was funny. And um, it did go off in the middle of class one day and, 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 and during a quiz, of course. And kids did all kind of look up and because and it, it repeats it too, right? <laughs> so it wasn't – at first they were like kind of looking around like, what? And then they, you know, had zoned in on me because it was taking me a second to That's get to funny. it. <laughs> anyway, I changed it after that because I didn't want that same thing happening. Okay, well, let's move on to tech talk. Uh, this is going to be um, the first part of our look at student-centered learning, and I'm really excited to talk about this over the next couple of pods. Uh, we're gonna. This it's been a passion of mine. Um, I was actually at a, an event last night just talking to an administrator from. Seattle School District about the role of student-centered learning. Um, and we're going to spend this and the next episode of the pod examining how technology can play a role in supporting student-centered learning. Uh, and this week we're going to, as I said, do a kind of a broad look at it and um, hopefully get you kind of up to speed if you're not familiar with this, what student-centered learning is and uh, get you kind of in the right frame of mind so that next week we're going to invite, or next pod, we're going to invite in uh, Julia Bamba and Tanya Reichel who work at, um, we have a, a big picture uh, high school in our district, and um, it's small, about three or 400 students, and everything they do is, is around student choice and um, student-centered approach to learning, and teachers are not teachers, they're facilitators. And, um, and so anyway, we'll, we'll hear about that and the, the role technology plays in the world. It's pretty, pretty excited. Anyway, so let's start with a definition and then look at what ISTE says about the importance of student-centered learning. Uh, ISTE defines student-centered learning as planning, teaching, and assessment that centers around the needs and abilities of students. And I'll add that I think a primary goal of student-centered learning is to help students develop autonomy, independence, and, and by putting the responsibility for learning in their hands, I think it helps raise uh, the role, their own role in the process um, of learning and puts it right at the center, which I think is we all believe, especially for creating lifelong learners, should be. So when planning, teachers try to craft instruction that, in the words of ISTE, best serves each student's learning journey. Um, and I think that's a good place to start. And, uh, and I think one question before we take the plunge into kind of looking at it is, why is it important? And again, I think ISTE on, on their website has a great answer, which is, when students take responsibility for their own learning, they become explorers capable of leveraging their curiosity to solve real-world problems. Um, and uh, with that in mind, I'd like to begin by looking at some of the core practices of student-centered learning and then explore, kind of talk about how technology plays a role in that. And one of the core tenets is this idea of active learning. So students are going to be responsible for constructing knowledge and the emphasis, emphasis moves away from the teacher as the deliverer of that knowledge and instead puts it in the hands of students. So I, I'm just curious, what do you think? about or what are some of the ways technology can support a change and, and especially maybe a teacher that's trying to kind of make that transition. So one of the things that comes to mind thinking about active learning is just um, letting students have some sort of choice and mm -hmm. providing that choice even if it's in a limited context. So like actively learn, having students use that independent reading library to choose things that they want to read about and learn more about is a way of having students yeah still read but you could even make it you know and actively learn you can also create the um, 
tech sets. Tech sets, yeah. Yeah. And so within a tech set, you know, having students have a choice of which one that they want to choose. Yeah. Well, I I think that one of the things uh, outside of even actively learned that technology has brought us is greater access to to sources of knowledge mm-hmm. and um, and different ways of saying things or in, like I was a history teacher so just a wider range of primary documents and things it's so much easier rather than having to go and slave over the copy machine and which then kind of pushes you to want to you know have everybody looking at the same stuff and obviously there's still time for that but I now as a teacher have it's much easier to 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 leverage the internet and say okay here's a here's a, a text set or here's a, a variety mm-hmm. of documents I want you to inquire and explore oh, and, and learn from that. And I still have a job as a teacher to come in and help guide them through that. But I think that, that that's one real quick way. And I do think that the independent reading in Actively Learn is a nice kind of like next step for those students that are really curious or get excited about a topic and want to deepen their knowledge about it. And, mm-hmm. and they can use that and, and show that they're, they're growing in that. So that's a yeah. good, good answer. Other thoughts about um, active learning? Well, my... My um, mind kind of went to a similar place to both of you. I was thinking about the inquiry and research process. And at the elementary level, inquiry is something we've been talking about a lot. So like Stephanie said, choice when you're really doing inquiry um, or more independent inquiry, students are pursuing answers to a question that they've asked and then finding evidence, building arguments. Um, So I think there's a lot of choice built into that. And then there's access to technology built into that in terms of having them find evidence, which could be something that the teacher does more curation of, um, or it could be more open depending on your grade level, your learners, and where you are in the inquiry process. Um, But I think regardless, it gives students a lot of agency, you know, whether they're looking at articles or they are finding primary sources maybe in the form of images, you know, it doesn't have to be a text that they're reading, but it could be lots of different um, you know, media, but um, that choice and then that access, I yeah. think, can be very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think I'm glad you brought up the the alternate media beyond text or you know, written text, and because I do think that that's another area that is um, comes with the with the access to the internet that is much easier today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I yeah, you think about you know graphs. Um, or maps mm-hmm. as texts, images yeah. as texts. And I think when those are put with texts that a student could read or interact with, that's even more powerful when it's lots yeah. of different yeah. forms and content areas yeah. put into yeah. one. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes me think about a, a, a lesson that I saw um, about seven or eight years ago that one of my colleagues was doing. And she was you know, te- taking the students through World War II. Mm-hmm. And in the past, for you know, examining the role of propaganda, she would have these overheads, and she'd put up one or you know maybe five or six different posters for them to see, you know, or um, news media or whatever. And instead, when I walked in this classroom, what was happening was every student had their computer up, and they were going through archival sets of posters, getting that chance to kind of browse at their own pace to, mm-hmm. you know, spend more time with one if they wanted. Um, and I just thought about that compared to the teacher up front with, you know, the overhead or which probably then would have been a, a PowerPoint. But um, it became just such a, a deeper experience. It takes a little longer, right? I mean, students have to have that time. You can't just power through necessarily. 
Um, but they're getting that depth and that that chance again to build those connections in ways that they wouldn't necessarily get by being told that here's the connection. So right. I think that's that's a and I've seen a lot of project based learning units mm-hmm. that yeah. essentially do that same thing where the student has created like what's most important to them with their yeah. kind of probing question and then they move forward yeah. in their research process. Yeah, and I'm glad uh, you brought that up. Uh, project based learning I think is a great kind of frame. With framework, it, yeah. framework to, to try to kind of mm-hmm. think about how you can engage students through active learning. I, I also think when I look, think about active learning, it brings up knowledge constructor in a way I think that mm-hmm. is really important. And you're spending some time going in I depth know. on knowledge constructor this year. I'm just wondering in terms of the work you're doing with uh, our ITP participants around knowledge constructor, are there other tools, approaches that you're, you're seeing connections there? Yeah, so Padlet, Wakelet, and Noodle Tools mm-hmm. are kind of some of the tools that we've been looking at as far as curation. Mm-hmm. And so how do students curate? And some of that is depending on the grade level that they're dealing with, um, teacher-centered. You know, So yeah. the teacher might make a wakelet that they are then sharing with their students who are then collaborators and adding content as opposed to our older high school students who can create their own yeah. and curate their own sources. So just kind of looking at some of the different ways that that knowledge process and curation yeah. is happening. Well, when you think about the act of curation, that is an active act, right? It's it's they're they're making choices about what they're going to include. They need to be thinking about why they're going to include it. And obviously you can do that with pen and paper. Um, but the thing that's uh, one big advantage with technology mm-hmm. is besides being easier to do that, you know, with things like Padlet or Wakelet, um, is that ability to share. And that that mm-hmm. brings up another component um, that's part of, of the student center classroom, and that's the role of collaboration. Mm-hmm. And you know, peer-to-peer interactions are vital, and so I'm just curious what you think the role of technology can be in facilitating that collaboration or those peer-to-peer interactions, and, and curation and sharing is one of those. What are, what are some other ways? Well, there's very few things that a child or an adult is going to do in life where they're not collaborating with somebody on a project. Right. And so all the things that we do all the time are the things that we should be teaching them to do anyway. So using something like Teams, Mm -hmm. knowing how to have a Zoom conference and to interact with people using technology properly, just even as basic as email. So all of those things are ways that they're collaborating effectively. And then... A lot of things now, even more and more, are allowing students to have collaborative projects and to work together. So like, for example, in Actively Learn, a student could create a uh, research project that they can still share with somebody else, and then now they're collaborating together. Uh, There's projects that they can be creating through their online PowerPoints and stuff where they're actually creating something collaboratively together. And so technology just makes it so much easier because kids aren't losing things. They all have equal access for the most part as long as they are in a computer environment or phone even. So it just makes it easier. Yeah, well I think that that technology brings a, a permeability that wasn't really present mm-hmm. with you know student work and projects because pretty much anything you do digitally now can be shared. I mean, at the very least, obviously with with the teacher, um, but most every platform has some kind of capability of taking whatever they've made and and opening that up to input, feedback, viewing of other people. <coughs> um, and and I think so that that permeability is a big big lift or advantage. Um, that comes from technology. And I, mm-hmm. I think that it opens up many possibilities. And, and I think the cool thing about it, too, is once you get started in, in one or two kind of platforms, 
you and the students get it from there going forward. And it's kind of like a shock sometimes when you encounter something that's like stuck in a box someplace, right? And so <laughs> whether it's Word or Teams or Wakelet or Actively Learn, they all have these ability to tie, it, you know, tie together and bring them in. And I think if you just start doing that and building that sense in there, collaboration becomes just kind of second mm -hmm. nature in some ways, I think, right? You know, or expected. So. Yeah, and like you said, Stephanie, I mean, it re really mimics the real world. You know, mm -hmm. most jobs allow for that flexibility and encourage that flexibility where you are meeting remotely, where you are collaborating digitally. Um, it's very, I think, becoming very few and far between where you all are just face to face all the time yeah. um, working pen and paper. Yeah. So it makes sense to prepare students for what really is going to be expected when they're finished with our yeah, school system. Right. Yes. And I think one other thing about that collaboration piece is that um, you, the, the the future of jobs, employment, life satisfaction, um, in which you're going to basically have to have a certain one particular set of skills to to you know pull a lever and advance something or whatever it is, um, or even you know something specific in a profession, is is really shrinking. I think, Cause you, and what you're going to need is to really you know take a look at what's what your task or what your job is and figure out what you need to learn and who you need to work with. And so I think, again, mm -hmm. pushing active learning and pushing collaboration are going to be building mindsets that are going to really serve them well mm -hmm. going, going out, going forward when they're dealing with, you know, jobs or, you know, projects that we've never even really, really conceived of. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's, I think, a huge part. All right, let's move on. Uh, one other area or another area is scaffolding. Students need support along the way, and obviously uh, scaffolding's part and parcel to teaching. Um, but I'm just curious what you think the role of technology can be in, in supporting scaffolding for students. And this is obviously going to look different for the primary kiddos compared to the, to the seniors that are on their way out the door. But um, <laughs> what are some ideas in which teachers can think about the role of technology in scaffolding? Um, I think... E-readers have been a really big conversation as of late. So a lot of, um, for primary students, Playaways is one way to help students access um, books and hear them. Um, and then moving into audiobooks for older students too. But I think it's huge because it allows students to access content, um, you know, maybe even in other content areas. And then for younger kids, even in the library, I think a lot of our librarians are purchasing playaways so that they can listen to stories that maybe they would have some barriers, whether it's, you know, they're struggling with reading or a learning disability, that, um, that lessens that struggle of decoding and allows them to still, allows them to still think um, complexly and deeply about a text and still access content that they might need in other classes. Um, so it's a huge way to maintain that level of complexity, but then provide a greater level of access for students who otherwise, you know, might be frustrated, understandably. Yeah. I always thought of scaffolding was building on the skills they already have and adding a new skill in a small chunk and then expanding upon the, it. The so zone of proximal development. Can you tell I taught write, <laughs> writing? <and> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we always worked in small chunks. Um, we called ours the CE, you know, claim evidence and explanation, but CER, everyone has their own version of it. But when kids learn these small chunks, 
and then they look at it as the big picture. Then they realize that I've written all these paragraphs that are now really combined an essay and how they can build that together. And technology is nice because it gives them the ability to get feedback and sometimes instant feedback where you can be looking at what they're working on and give them advice as they're going. And yes, you can do that in class at all times, but it can also be done from outside of the classroom, which makes it really nice. Another thing that I was thinking of is I'm working with Allie in the elementary group on this inquiry process with the elementary teachers. And it's a perfect example of moving from a structured, more teacher-centered inquiry process to a open inquiry process where students are moving from learning what is a good question and how does that like take you to the next step. So then eventually moving to, we like the question formulation technique. We're getting kids to learn how to ask a question so that they can then formulate their own inquiry process. So there's mm -hmm. just so many tools and structures out there to really help kids scaffold their learning. Yeah. Well, I, and I think it, uh, you know, I'm the old curmudgeon high school teacher. Um, when I think of technology's role in scaffolding, it, I, I really think a lot about how it can be used to model ways for them to develop their own tools, right? Um, and again, I, I, like Stephanie, have been diving deep into one of the ISTE standards. And so innovative design, uh, designer is the one I've been looking at pretty in depth. And um, we, we have been exploring how the design process itself is a scaffold and um, how if you can layer that into the whatever they're charging ahead on, you can you can and you can use technology to do all those steps along the way. And um, you can do things like uh, annotating in Word is a good one, right? So they can kind of see what they're you know supposed to be doing during empathy or brainstorming or whatever. Um, and then you can also tie in things through technology just through the simple things like hyperlinking that they wouldn't have had access to before it would have been an extra step. Um, and and then hopefully through that process they are learning and seeing those steps and then are then applying that process itself to building um, building new tools or new ways of, of, of attacking the problem. So that's that's kind of where I, th I see the role. Um, so anyway, yeah, cool. Other thoughts about scaffolding? All right, one last area, and, that, and Stephanie brought it up, and that's feedback. And uh, feedback loops help students recognize and identify areas for growth and uh, direction for their learning. How can technology help students with, with uh, getting feedback on, on their work? Um, what are some of the ways you're seeing out there? You want to take that now? <laughs> sure. Um, well, a couple months ago, I was in a fourth grade teacher's classroom, and so I got to kind of see this firsthand. He was using Teams to have students submit their writing, and he was attaching the rubric to Teams to give them feedback as they were doing it, and he was pretty much like live inputting that feedback, so they weren't all getting it at the same time, and so some of them were opening their team right in class and seeing where they fell on the rubric and then seeing his comments, and it was, it, at least from an outsider view, it looked incredibly motivating for them. Yeah. Um, and then what I thought was nice is he was having them submit you know different versions of their writing along the way and using the same rubric, so they had a really clear trace of their progress, which I thought was, and yes, you know, teachers have been giving rubrics, pen and 
paper and pencil, you know, for forever. Um, but to be able to open up a team on a device and see everything right there and track your own progress, I yeah. think is mm-hmm. um, for an elementary school student, incredible. Yeah. Well, and I think there's two key advantages that technology offers. And I think one is um, the adjacency of the feedback. And we know that the closer the feedback is to to the to the learning or the the, the demonstration learning, the better, right? And so I think the, just the fact that teachers can go on in real time if they want or if they have the ability, and oftentimes they just don't because you're you're busy doing other stuff. But uh, you can get to it more quickly. You can also automate a lot of feedback, and so using things like forms, Google for, or Google or uh, Microsoft Forms that have answers already embedded so they can mm-hmm. take a, a little quiz and get that feedback right away. So there's that adjacency. The other thing, too, is that um, for teachers uh, to go into the digital platform uh, provides just greater access so they can get to it without having to lug around a big you know, bag of, mm-hmm. of papers or whatever. And so they can sit on a laptop and drink you know, wine or whatever, at, you know, and or they can do it while on the bus, you know, or whatever. I mean, so I just and I've heard stories from teachers about how that has has happened. So that 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 provides it. one other thing I think that is really important is is kind of the uh, the fact that once you give that feedback on a piece of paper, it's stuck on that piece of paper. And there really isn't any room for dialogue unless a, a, a student mm-hmm. seeks out the teacher um, uh, or a parent. <laughs> um, and and. Many of the digital platforms, including Teams, um, that we're looking at provide a chance for kind of some feedback back and forth, ask questions, raise hands, that type of stuff, that, um, which I think are really smart ways um, of, of encouraging that dialogue and encouraging students to take ownership of, of their, their learning and, and feedback. And I also think the asynchronous nature of it, right, it's not getting stuck in the bottom of a backpack mm-hmm. and, and lost to the world, right? Um, it can be accessed, and you know, it might not be on your school device, maybe it's on your mom's device or whatever, but that's that's another aspect. So that that adjacency is an advantage, and that asynchronous aspect of it, I think, is mm-hmm. a big advantage. And again, depending on what platform you're using on, I think teachers need to spend a little time trying to figure out how those two concepts work within those platforms, but then they can really, I think, leverage that a lot. Yeah. Cool. Well, well I <laughs> yeah, I wanted to just end our discussion today with an article that was in um, on ISTE, and this is actually about five or six years ago, and it's four myths about student-centered learning. And I just thought we could take just a quick listen to some of those myths and, and, and comment on them if you want. But the first myth that they identify is that either your classroom is student-centered or it's not. So, mm-hmm. And I think that they point out in the article that it's a continuum. And I think that's one thing I would really encourage you if you are trying to figure out how technology can support moving in the direction of student-centered learning. That's the key is it's going to be steps and you can shift the balance in your classroom rather than thinking of it as a, a binary thing, even though we're talking about digital <laughs> digital tools. But anyway, so other thoughts on, on the idea that it's either student-centered or it's not? I think any classroom can't be anything all the time. Right, exactly. So why would it? And shouldn't. It shouldn't because there's always going to be a need for direct instruction. Because yeah, absolutely. that's why you're there. <laughs> Kids need some help. They do need that. And even if it's the teacher as a facilitator, they're still there. Yeah, sometimes there comes a need support. where. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you think about it in real life, you still go to your boss for questions. Yeah. <laughs> so you still yeah. need that support. Well, those are both yeah. good comments to tie into the second myth, which is in a student centered classroom, the teacher never lectures, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, I do think I, I'll be somebody who's perfectly honest. I, I enjoyed. Lecture. Lecture. Lecturing. I, 
I, you wanted I, to I, impart knowledge. I wanted to impart knowledge, and I, I, I think of myself as a storyteller, and um, you know, in, in a history and in psychology classrooms that I taught, that was an important part in my mind. But I also think that I had to always kind of ask questions like, is this really helping the students get to where they need to be going? Mm-hmm. Is this focused on their needs or is this focused on my stuff? And I, I didn't always come down on that side, but I also think that there is a time and a place. And when we hear from um, Tanya and Julia next week, you will, or next pod, you'll hear that there is definitely times when those teachers slash facilitators bring kids together and they, they go through kind of a traditional learning process as a kind of a launch pad to get into deeper knowledge or whatever. So I think that's definitely one. We, um, oh, sorry. We have been talking about this a lot with the inquiry um, PDs with the elementary schools about direct instruction and inquiry and how it isn't an either or, it shouldn't be an either or. I, you know, thinking kind of large scale, but even within a lesson, like you are rarely going to have a lesson that's all inquiry. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because often there is, you know, maybe some like vocabulary that needs to be built or whatever it is. Um, and so that it's recognizing that we're not necessarily advocating for one over the other. Right. We're advocating yeah. for a balance. And that might look different to different people and different learners. Yeah. The third myth is one I, I think that we could definitely do a whole episode on. And that's the myth is using technology automatically makes your classroom student centered. And um, I, I'm just curious. <laughs> Why is that a myth? What, what's the danger there? Because if you're doing the same thing you could do on paper and you just put your compute kids on a computer and they're sitting there just staring at a worksheet on a computer, mm-hmm. it's still yeah. not student-centered. Yeah. And there's it's less collaboration. There's less problem. collaboration. <laughs> they're not really thinking. They're just – or if they're watching lectures on the computer or yeah. <laughs> if you've just replaced – there's really – it's still not student-centered. Yeah, that's right. When again, there's so many, so many things that are directed by AI now, right? <laughs> um, students are just following the next prompt rather than following um, what they what they want to learn or need to know. And so I think that's definitely, and we don't want to just create, um, you know, robot students. robot students. Exactly. Well said. All right, last myth <laughs> of the four they listed. I'm sure there's others. Teachers don't have time for student centered learning. They're too busy trying to meet the common core. And uh, they point out that if you really dive deep into the Common Core, uh, that a lot of it really supports actually student-centered learning and um, is is benefited. But I just think that's an interesting one as well. And that is something I hear, especially in in districts like Issaquah, where people are really pushed by by standards and and by the the demands of their content, especially at secondary. There's a very comprehensive curriculum here. And I think that's why teachers might feel that way because they're being given so much that they feel like they need to teach it all. Um, But there's always room for that within it because as a teacher, you have some autonomy in the fact that you you have to teach it to what you are as a person as well. I was lucky I came from a district where... I was given like, here's a class list of books that you can teach and teach whichever ones you want as long as they're in your grade level. I had to create everything. And so I had a lot of um, ability to do a lot of student-centered and PBL and just kind of build what I wanted to. But I still got to all the standards. And I think that's the fear is like you're not going to reach them. Yeah. If you go all student centered, but actually probably reach them st- better. Yeah, I, that's so what I was gonna say. I think about kids' knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I do, and I feel like oftentimes too the the layering of standards 
comes much deeper and uh, more naturally when students are, are making choices about their learning along the process and exploring um, than when you are trying to kind of like target. And, and I think there's a role still for targeted um, you know, approaches as well, but I, I, I definitely think that you get a richer experience um, and, and, that, and it takes some time at the beginning uh, to launch them and, and mm-hmm. some extra, some different ways of kind of monitoring and, and, and adjusting and, and, and responding to, to student needs, but I definitely think so. There's time if you if you put it in. Cool. Well, um, we have uh, talked kind of for a long time, so I'm actually gonna we were gonna do a classroom hack, but I'm gonna nix it and uh, we'll we'll save it for another pod, and um, we'll look forward to talking more about this uh, in a couple weeks um, uh, with a uh, with our guests from Gibson Eck. So anyway, thank you. Uh, Happy New Year, and we'll see you all or talk to you all in a couple weeks. Bye. I want to give a special shout out to the band Clipping. That's C-L-I-P-P-I-N-G, period. You can hear them in the background. They've been gracious enough to let us use their music for our intro and outro. You can find out more about them at subpop.com. You can find out more about us at thebmp.org. I'm Josh, and I'm out. I'm out.